0: In this episode of Vision Slightly Blurred, a lawyer buys a building and finds a trove of photos in a hidden attic, including a portrait of Susan B. Anthony. Photographer Jeff Sedlick sues tattoo artist and star of LA Ink Kat Von D for using his copyrighted image of Miles Davis on a tattoo and to promote her businesses. And The New Yorker takes a look at the latest book by Japanese photographer Seiichi Furuya. Vision Slightly Blurred starts now... Photo Shelter presents Vision Slightly Blurred. I'm Alan Murabayashi. And I'm Sarah Jacobs. Sarah, did you catch that video of the lawyer that had that cat filter on his face?
1: <laughs> I did, and honestly, it brought me so, so much joy.
0: You know what's weird? That was only a week ago, and it seems like it was a, a long time ago, but I loved that it just sort of blew up and, and people just thought it was the funniest thing ever, even though we've known about filters <laughs> and... I think there was something very earnest about the lawyer Rod Ponton uh saying what did he said
1: uh I'm I am here, I am a person, I am not a cat. Something like that. <laughs> right.
0: That's a great opening line.
1: It really is, especially to a court hearing. I uh that got dropped in the work slack and immediately I DM'd it to a bunch of friends because that's just prime quality content.
0: In other news
1: <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So uh this, this is funny that this is our first bit that we're going to talk about today um, because it also is about a lawyer, <laughs> uh, a lawyer in upstate New York who discovered a treasure trove of photos in a concealed attic in a commercial building that he recently purchased. Um, and I actually found this out from my dad, who normally just DMs me. He He's also on Twitter. He'll DM me cat memes, like, all day. <laughs> but this is, like, the first photo-related thing that he must have thought was cool and, and DMed it to me. So I was like, okay, this obviously is reaching a lot of audiences, and a lot of people think it's cool. Basically, this lawyer, David Whitcomb, um, in Geneva, New York, recently purchased a commercial building for his practice, And discovered a hidden sealed off attic that housed the archive and photo equipment from 19th century photographer James Ellery Hale.
0: Otherwise known as J.E. Hale.
1: And one of his most famous subjects that he photographed was Susan B. Anthony.
0: The famous suffragist.
1: The famous suffragist. (laughs) That That is right. The photo was taken in 1905, just one year before her death. Um, and it's actually the photo that has been used by her foundation and was used to raise funds for the movement.
0: It's a pretty cool story. You know, we've talked about these found photo events uh, that happen every once in a while, and it's it's usually like a hidden room or a hidden attic, and somebody unearths you know a trove of photographs. Uh, we've seen a couple instances where the people finding the photos wanted the photos to be. More historically unique and important than they were, everyone wants to find the next Vivian Mayear, but it's yes. hard. It's hard to find that set of photos. But this is cool because uh, J. E. Hale was a known portraitist in the in the area. Uh, he was shooting on glass negatives, and so some of the reporting says that uh, he found pieces of the glass negative used to print the photograph, um, but he he fears that part. Uh, The parts featuring the face has been lost. Uh, And he's hoping that some local photographers uh, can help him develop the images from 50 intact glass negatives in the trove. It's just kind of a remarkable situation to find this stuff.
1: That would just be so exciting and cool to like open up a door and be like, oh, my God, look at all this old school equipment.
0: And as we mentioned two weeks ago in the, the podcast with the Sioux photographer, Frank Bennett Fisk, he also shot on glass plates. And so there's no degradation of the image quality. You get this really, really great detail. So it, it'll be really interesting to see what sort of prints they're able to make from these, these class negatives.
1: Yes, they're going to be sharp. They're going to be beautiful. Um, Whitcomb has already co-signed uh, his find to one-source auctions and antiques. And the tr- the entire... Trove has been appraised for 100000 which is actually how much he bought the building for. <laughs> so, so talk about getting a good return on investment.
0: I was looking uh, at the history of the Susan B. Anthony $1 coin, which you may or may not remember from your childhood. Um, and apparently the U.S. Mint engraver used, at least in a couple reports, two to six photographs to do his original art for the coin. There's no mention of which images he used, but since the Susan B. Anthony Foundation was using this photograph kind of widely um, for their marketing purposes, I wonder if he hadn't seen this photo in the past. So there's all of these potential tangential connections uh, to this artwork, which makes the discovery really, really exciting.
1: Oh, wow. And and they're saying that that particular photograph could alone get up to $50,000.
0: Nice find. Nice find.
1: Definitely jealous of that.
0: In copyright news, uh, the photographer Jeff Sedlick, who I know personally, who's the co-founder and president and CEO of the PLUS Coalition, uh, the picture licensing universal system, which is a way to categorize image usage, sued the tattoo artist Kat Von D. Sedlick took a photo in 1989 of the jazz musician Miles Davis. Uh, Most everyone has heard of the name Miles Davis. He has the the highest-selling uh, jazz album of all time, Kind of Blue, he took a really, really iconic image of uh, Davis with his fingers kind of making a, a hush uh, gesture uh, for the cover of the now-defunct Jazz's magazine. And in 2017, Kat Von T took that image. There's, there's some video of her tracing the image and then turned it into a tattoo, which was used to promote her uh, tattoo businesses. Hmm. Sedlick came across this usage and filed suit against her for copyright infringement. He's asking for damages. He's asking for statutory uh, damages of $150,000. Um, he wants all of the references to the tattoo removed from her social media usage. And one of the the things that's really struck me is the reaction. Uh, There's been a couple articles about this. One of them is on Petapixel. And of course, I had to scroll down to the comment section. (laughs) The
1: famed comment section. About
0: half of the photographers are pro photographer saying Sedlick's work has clearly been infringed. And half the photographers are saying, what's the big deal? He's like taking advantage of another artist. What's your what's your take on that?
1: Well, I am a fan um, of LA Inc. There was a period of my life where I was watching that um, pretty consistently. And that's the thing about tattoo artists is that people are always bringing in images for them to replicate, to put on their bodies. So... I kind of always saw it as an honor, right? An honor for somebody to want that tattoo. I would never want to do something like that, but for somebody wanting a photograph, a particular photograph to be on their body for the rest of their lives and also for another artist to interpret it, hopefully well, (laughs) unless you want to get a shitty tattoo Um, and, and to make it in some ways their own. And so my first question with this is, how is this not transformative
0: use? Well, I think that that will be the argument that her lawyers will make, that even the mere act of turning it into a tattoo uh, makes it transformative. I, I think so. Obviously, we're not lawyers. Um, no. There have been some examples in the past. So, for example, this particular lawsuit has been compared to Shepard Ferry's Obama Hope poster, which was resolved out of court. Um, But in that case, Ferry was claiming fair use. He was -hmm. saying that he was inspired by some of these images and he created, you know, an angle that looked similar, but it was actually fair use. That particular issue was not resolved. That underlying issue was not resolved by the settlement. Hmm. Um, So I think the damning part of this is that there's an image of her tracing the photo. It's hard to claim transformative use when you're tracing a photograph. <laughs> and that's the part that gets me. The the other part which I think is material, you know, if you go in with a photo of your grandma and you get a, a tattoo and it's from a you know a family photo, there's there's no problem there, right? Right, true, but true, true. In this situation, Sedlick has the registered copyright for his image. And the Mm -hmm. pose that Davis has, it's not like a generic pose of Miles Davis playing the trumpet. It is Miles Davis with that hush uh, position of his hand that is unmistakable. And the fact that she's using that tattoo to promote her business means that she's using Sedlick's image, his copyrighted image, for commercial purposes. Yeah, And because she has a TV show and millions of followers on social media it's hard to claim like, ah, uh, there's no, you know, there's no economic loss here.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I would I would guess that Kat's team, like you said, is gonna go in there with the, this is transformative because it's a new aesthetic of the photo, it, it looks different. And, you know, I always go back and think of like Richard Prince's work, right? Yeah. Like if that guy can do that, I know, I know. Kat Von D can do
0: this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I, you know? I think, you know, Law is all about the details. And when you look at what Richard Prince has done with like the Instagram photos, for example, the fact that he inserts himself into the comment stream, the fact that he covers up Rastafarians with, you know, geometric shapes and different colors, you can make a more credible argument that a transformation has occurred. That's the argument that Prince has made in the past. I don't know when there's a, an almost literal translation of the photo with a very distinct pose that you can make that claim. Hmm. And so it'll be really really interesting to see. You know, t- tattoo art in itself has a lot of copyright implications because you know the the original designs can be copyrighted by the tattoo artists. And there have been situations in the past, you know, when I was researching this particular thing, the NFL players association, for example, has asked its players to get releases from their tattoo artists since artists presumably oh, wow. hold copyrights for their art. And there was this situation in the past. So Colin Kaepernick, uh, the, the maligned uh, quarterback, uh, kneeling quarterback, uh, had a release from his tattoo artist. So when the Madden video games inserted that, to, that tattoo into their video games, they were allowed to produce it because Kaepernick had a, a release. But this wasn't the case for the NBA 2K16 game. So that video game developer, Take-Two Interactive, was sued although they did win, but not because it was fair use. It was, it was the, the judge deemed that the tattoos are significantly reduced in size and the player's quick and erratic movements in the video game up and down the basketball court made it difficult to discern even the undefined dark shading of these tattoos. Oh, wow. So that underlying <sighs> idea of like the copyright infringement was not the reason why the case was won or lost.
1: The blog copyright lately brought up a really great question that kind of ties into that you know, could Sedlick seek the tattoo subject, the guy that got this tattooed on him to cover up in public like could he be like you're not allowed to show that while you're out or or post selfies of it or et cetera like that's a really interesting part of this case
0: yeah i read the I read the complaint uh, that Sedlick filed and In no part of it does he go after the recipient of the tattoo. And I think part of it is the practical nature of filing a lawsuit, right? The guy who got the tattoo uh, most likely doesn't have a social media following as large as Kat Von D. He probably doesn't have a reality TV show. He's probably not trying to promote his tattoo in conjunction with a commercial service that he he owns. So just from a practical point of view, the, the economic relief that he'll get by suing that guy is nothing right and the fact that it's just Mm. a personal expression on someone's body you know the tattoo industry would go away if if that was really the way that artists kind of approach the you know every time you go out in public and you post it in a photo i get a residual amount like that's just not the way it's gonna Mm. work um Mm -hmm. you know i think the fact that Kat Von D connected it with her business and has all of these outlets to commercialize this photo that Sedlick owns the copyright to it makes it a, a much different situation, um, but it'll be interesting to see you know, whether you know, he tried to settle out of court with them, c- according to the complaint. Uh, she didn't respond uh, in a favorable way, and so they're, they're going to a lawsuit, and we'll see whether uh, it actually goes to trial or not, because as you know, a lot of these things just settle out of court because it's so expensive to go to trial. That's
1: right. In fact, a case that we talked about last summer, Mashable versus Sinclair... The news came out just this past week that they have settled uh, outside of court.
0: This was a situation where Mashable had embedded some of her Instagram posts into an article after she said she didn't want them to use the image. According to her statement, she was very, very happy with the outcome of the settlement. But the underlying issue, again, of whether it's legal to embed has not been resolved by the courts.
1: Interesting. Yeah.
0: But I do think that because hmm. a settlement was made, uh, more and more publishers will be leery about using embeds in their, in their news stories in the future.
1: I would imagine, especially after receiving a, a no from a photographer about using their
0: image. Warning, this next section discusses suicide and might be inappropriate for some listeners. Over in the New Yorker, a really interesting article about the Japanese photographer Seiichi Furuya, who I knew nothing about. Um, he is a photographer who in 1973 left Japan for Austria in 1978. He met his future wife, Christine Gossler. They were married a few months later and had a kid. And in some of the reporting that I came across, uh, one piece said, Seichi Furuya was a man haunted by an emotionally deficient past. His younger brother was left permanently mentally ill due to a childhood fever and institutionalized for life. One night he was pinned under the chassis of the car because of the drunk driving of his father. He moved away from his native Japan and settled in Austria where he met the woman who would become his wife. And then his wife had been through emotionally trying times as well. The year prior to meeting uh, Furuya, her fiancé called off their engagement and she plunged into a suicidal depression. In an effort to extricate herself, she slit both her wrists and her neck. The reasons behind which she did not tell Furuya until years later. So both of these people came from a troubled background. He ended up photographing his wife almost on a daily basis. So he had thousands of photos. And by the time she committed suicide in 1985, she threw herself out of a window. And upon Mm -hmm. finding the body, Furuya continued to photograph And every book that he's published, I think there's about six books now, and uh, the latest one is the the subject of this New Yorker piece called Face to Face. Every subject of every book is his wife and the relationship with his wife.
1: What a deeply personal body of work. It's very emotional, even just, I mean, witnessing their relationship kind of through his eyes. And then in this newest book, where he's also photographed by her. And so you're kind of, you're witnessing them watch each other. Um, and it's just, it's very voyeuristic to to look at, um, which is one reason that makes it so delightful. I mean, it's really gorgeous portraits.
0: I love the layout of the book. You know, it, they're, they're presenting each set of photos on opposing pages in the design. Uh, you can clearly see the intimacy of the relationship. They seem very, very comfortable with one another. There's a sensitivity to a lot of the photos, and you know when I look at the style of photography, it has this sort of old school authenticity, if you will, that I, I feel like a lot of contemporary uh, photographers are trying to emulate. Um, mm, and so mm-hmm. the, the photography for me was was really resonant. I, I really like the the aesthetic of the, of the, the photos
1: absolutely they, they They're a strange mixture of kind of like this fine art portraiture, but also these family snapshots. Um, And I think that mix creates a really interesting uh, view overall of their life.
0: You know, his work is collected at MoMA. It's collected at SF MoMA. He's been uh, featured in a lot of galleries, uh, particularly in Berlin and uh, parts of Europe where where he still resides. It's strange to me in some ways that I've never heard of him before. I mean, not that I'm, you know, I've done a deep dive into Japanese photographers, but you know, you know, you know, the big names like ido Moroyama. Um, it just it's a reminder of how vast the photographic landscape is and how much great photography mm. is out there but you know it's like the same names always uh, are reproduced in the histories as as canon of the photography um, and yeah. it's just not accurate.
1: Yeah yeah, absolutely. The, the
0: one other thing that I think is is noteworthy just because of the the time and date and place in which it occurred. You know, he is a Japanese national who travels to Europe and has an interracial marriage with, uh, with a white woman at a time where outside of my hometown in Hawaii, that was not common at all. So I think even looking at these photos, you know, it it was very common to see a white guy marrying an, an Asian woman, but the reverse was not very common. Even now, I, I think outside of Hawaii, it's not very common. Um, so to me, mm. it was like particularly resonant to look at these these photos.
1: Yeah, you know, and the writer at the New Yorker references the couple's clothing style and the way they're photographing is feels really modern. And I think you mentioning, you know, them being an interracial couple at a time when this was less frequent also kind of is it's it resonates now because we see this way more often. And so you're just like, this was a very cool modern couple.
0: Yeah, it's like every... Every piece of advertising in the Super Bowl was like an interracial yeah. couple, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, That's suit du jour. Well, this link to the New Yorker article and all the other things that we're talking about today, you can find on our blog at blog.photoshelter.com. This particular book is called Face to Face by the photographer Seiichi Furuya. Speaking of
1: uh, photographers that we always talk about, that the culture always talks about. <laughs> <laughs> um, Magnum photographer Alex Soth started a YouTube channel just this month, and the dude's already gotten 25,000 views, not, which not I just Not bad think, for an art photographer. I agree. I just think that that's phenomenal and great. Um, the longest one that he has posted, and I believe it was the first video he posted, um, is where he just talks... And walks you through William Eggleston's book *Democratic Forest*, um, and it's a really interesting, soothing talk. I was reading the comments uh, on YouTube, and people, you know, were like, "This is like the ASMR for photographers." <laughs> <laughs> you know, and the way he's got his video set up, he's got one camera overlooking the book, and then you see him, Alec, in the in the uh, top right shot, and he's just flipping the book, talking about each image. Um, It's really informative. And for people that either if you miss photography classes, if you studied it and and you're yearning for them and miss them, it's a great look at that. Or if you didn't go to photography school, but you want to hear how fine art photographers talk about each other's work. It's a really fascinating way to do that. And I really enjoyed watching it. I think I think you should watch it, Alan, if you haven't.
0: Uh, It's definitely on my list. Uh, I really want to watch it. The one thing I'll say about Alec is he knows his stuff. So he runs a publishing company called Little Brown Mushroom. Uh, So people send him photo books all the time. You might also notice in the background uh, of the videos that he's producing is his bookshelf, which is just lined with books. (laughs) Presumably the majority of them are photo related books. So the notion that he would be able to talk about Eccleston's work in the context of uh, photographers who were influenced by Eggleston, or photographers who preceded Eggleston, uh, I, I'm super enamored about the, the possibilities. Uh, I will say that you know he's produced two other talks. They don't have to do anything with photography, so oh, <laughs> you know he's just.
1: I gotta check those out. Yeah, he's,
0: he said uh, this is COVID and it's what we do. That's why he started the uh, <laughs> this little vlog, if you will. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm surprised that he hasn't come out on uh, Clubhouse and tried to do something there since it seems to be the cat's meow nowadays
1: i know alan have you gotten your invite yet
0: ah you know i'm on there and i'm still just trying to figure what the hell's going on but uh maybe we'll okay. do a podcast about it in the future
1: that would be fun or we could get onto clubhouse and invite uh, our listeners i think that would be cool too are you scared? I'm, I'm scared. i scared.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you can follow no, Sarah I and I on Clubhouse too. I'm Alan3M. It's the same handle as my Twitter.
1: Hell yeah. I got the same handle too. It's at Sarah J. Follow hey. me on Clubhouse. Well, speaking yeah, of Twitter,
0: that's uh, that's another wrap on another show. If you want to leave us a comment, you can always tweet at PhotoShelter. Uh, we encourage you to smash that subscribe button. Leave us a comment. Leave us a rating. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Vision Slightly Blurred. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. PhotoShelter is the online leader for photography websites and workflow tools. Archive, distribute, and sell your photos in a mobile-friendly, responsive website. Try one free for 14 days at photoshelter.com slash podcast. Then download one of our free educational guides at photoshelter.com slash resources.